I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024, for what it's worth. It's going to be an amazing year, and I hope that we end it uh, with Donald Trump as the president-elect of the United States of America. I fully expect that that is going to be the result, although what the Democrats are going to do in the meantime to try to block him from the ballot and all the other maneuvers that they've taken on. In fact, let me point something out to you. Uh, in the last couple of days, Maine decided to take Donald Trump off the ballot. And that decision was not made by a court. It was after an administrative hearing by the Secretary of State of the state of Maine saying that Mainers, the people who live in Maine, aren't going to be allowed to vote for Donald Trump. Well, you know, I, I imagine that Donald Trump wasn't fully represented at that administrative hearing. And how does such a thing happen? Well, as of today, the Trump team, the attorneys, have actually filed a formal challenge uh, to overturn that decision by the Secretary of State. So the next time you hear somebody say, well, Trump's been taken off the ballot in Maine, until the 17th of January, when the court is supposed to make a decision, Donald Trump, as of this moment, is back on the ballot. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. He has appealed that decision. And until and unless he loses that appeal, he's back on the main ballot. But we'll be covering that a lot, I know, in this coming year, as we did in the fall of last year. But welcome to the program. Glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you happen to be a naysayer, well, you go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com and our daily poll on X. The, the poll on X, I guess, is the new term we're going to call it by. Used to call it the Twitter poll. Now it's X instead. Should the plagiarist president of Harvard have been fired or allowed to resign? Harvard University, supposedly one of the most prestigious different universities in America, has now decided to allow her to resign. I think they should have fired her. I think they should have said she has said crazy things on Capitol Hill about uh, Israel and Hamas and about uh, about anti-Semitism on Harvard's campus. She screwed that up. But then the plagiarism charges against this woman, Claudine Gay. Claudine Gay has been at Harvard for all of six months. Apparently, there have been concerns about her plagiarism going back decades. And at this point, this is a, uh, you know, this is a mess. The Harvard should have sent a very clear message. We get rid of students if they commit plagiarism. We get rid of faculty. We even get rid of the president. They did not do that. They allowed her to resign instead. You can find today's poll on X at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I join, you should too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better, better for you and better for America. A shout-out to our friends in Emporia, Virginia, who listen to Great Talk Radio every day on WEVA. That's AM 860. And, of course, you can find my show there as well. I have to mention this before I get 
to your uh, phone calls and emails. Uh, in California, the state of California, which is now about $68 billion in deficit, the state is entirely underwater financially. They have now decided to offer free health care through Medicaid, the government-run health insurance program, Medi-Cal, is what it's called in California. They're going to give free health care or health care at no charge. It costs somebody money, and in this case, American taxpayers. So Joe Biden's massive border invasion, in which about 9 million people have come into this country in the last three years, and as of December, the number of illegal entrants to the United States was north of 300,000 in a single month. That's 10,000 people a day, 10,000 illegal aliens a day. And now California says it's going to cover all of the illegal aliens. It wants to cover all the kids and all the adults between ages of 19 and 25 and all of those over the age of 50. So you're going to see this huge increase in the number of people covered by taxpayer-funded health care in the state of California. 700,000 illegal aliens are going to be covered. All of that through the largesse of California, which apparently has decided it solved all the other problems of that state, homelessness and drugs and child trafficking and everything else. And now they're going to hand out health care at no charge to illegal aliens. Can you imagine how quickly we're going to see even more people trying to rush America's border before Donald Trump gets elected in November and reverses that policy on day one in January of next year. In any case, glad to be with you in this new year. Glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Let's start with uh, Rod. Hey, Rod, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Yes, I I'm, uh, want to address the, the Civil War issue that you discussed earlier uh, with a caller and uh I have real problems with that. I've, I have a couple of friends that mentioned the very same scenario where things will get so disruptive, especially if Trump fails to get elected or he's some corruption of some type that's done against him. You mean and like I, being removed from the ballot and Americans forbidden absolutely. to vote for him? Corruption like that? Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Um, you know, the scenario of a civil war, hearkening back to... Uh, our, our original civil war um, is, in my opinion, there's no comparison of what, because that was done by uh, states that severed their connection and seceded from the Union. So this yeah. was a state effort. It wasn't individuals or anything like that uh, that decided to revolt. It was entire states that had a common identity and a common cause. And I don't see that scenario in this case at all. I don't know Can how Can I make it for you? And I'll, I'll do my best, and you tell me if you think I'm off base. I've sure. always told people, and they said, we're, we're going to get to the point where Americans aren't going to take it anymore. And I said, I don't think we're there yet. I mean, there are plenty of things to object to in the way that citizens are treated, especially over the last three years during the pandemic. But now what we're being told is, you're not even allowed a semblance of representation. You will not be allowed to vote for certain people. Now, that's a sea change. It's one thing to disagree on the right to life, on taxes, on illegal aliens, on energy, on being told you have to buy an electric car, you don't have the choice of a gasoline car. But when you tell people you're not even allowed to vote for the, the candidate of your choice, at what point, and where there's a double standard, uh, double standard throughout our, our justice system, in which if you're a conservative, 
They're going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. And if you're a liberal, you're going to get away with murder. And I can give you specific examples of that. When Americans get to the point where they said, I've had everything I can take of this and a double standard in which I'm a second-class citizen because I'm a conservative, I'll give you the last 30 seconds. How are they going to react to that? That's that's my point. I don't know how they would react to it in terms of a organized effort and what the scenario would look like and how that would be executed. You know, I mean... Uh, well, all what I'm suggesting is... A lot of Americans will say, I've had my fill. I'm tired of the government telling me what to do. The government is to serve the citizens, not the other way around. And when the government starts to say, we're not even going to let you pretend that you're actually choosing your leaders, Americans will react. Provocative Talk Radio. Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on the first Tuesday of 2024. So Happy New Year, if I haven't said so already. If you want to join the conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. And I want to welcome back and wish a Happy New Year to our friend Frank Gaffney, the founder of the Center for Security Policy in Washington, D.C., and author of the number one best-selling book on Amazon in its category, The Indictment, Prosecuting the Chinese Communist Party and Friends for Crimes Against America, China, and the World. Frank, welcome back. Thank you, and the very best to you for the new year against all odds, Lars. Against all odds. Well, let's talk about some of the practical things we could do. You and I have talked about the World Health Organization a lot. And uh, during during Donald Trump's term, he cut the funding to the WHO. The U.S. was the biggest funder of the WHO, and they sold us out during the pandemic in some very meaningful and serious ways. Uh, what's the chance that we ever could do something to... to uh, diminish where the World Health Organization stands right now. Under Joe Biden, is there even a snowball's chance that we could cut funding to them again? Well, it's a long shot. But on the other hand, I wouldn't have given you a plug nickel for where we are right now, which is that the House of Representatives has approved an appropriations bill for this fiscal year that zeroes out the money not just cuts it, zeroes out the money for the WHO, the World Health Organization, and stipulates that they won't get any more money unless and until any agreements that they're now cooking up, and this is something we need to talk about too, Lars, are submitted to the United States Senate for the formal constitutional advice and consent process, which means a two-thirds vote to approve them. And that's not very likely because these agreements um, would effectively submit the United States to the dictates of the Secretary General of the World Health Organization in the event that, God forbid, 
there's ever another public health emergency, as they call it, of international concern, uh, maybe a pandemic, maybe, oh, I don't know, uh, abortion or gun violence or climate change or something else that we then have to do what the World Health Organization tells us is in order, uh, gun confiscation, for example. This is crazy. Uh, and it wouldn't happen, of course, if the public were aware that the Biden administration is beavering away at trying to surrender our sovereignty, crush our sovereignty, really, and our personal medical freedom in the process, by the way. Um, but they're not doing it in public eye. They're doing it behind closed doors. And not only that, Lars, but a couple of weeks ago in the United States House of Representatives, uh, three of the senior Biden administration officials who are negotiating these deals actually perjured themselves. I believe under oath in in, in sworn front of the testimony House. in front of the House of Representatives and they said oh no no this isn't going to impact our sovereignty that's a lie and we need to call them out on it and and begin the process of defunding the World Health Organization I'm glad you made the point though that when people talk about uh, WHO and declaring a public health emergency that we ought to, I think a lot of us would ordinarily think well that's a some kind of disease emergency uh, but mm. it doesn't have to be. It could be, for instance, right. WHO could determine, for example, uh, America and the world have an emergency of what the liberals like to call gun violence, meaning yeah. violence committed by people with a gun. And they say, well, based on that, we're going to tell the United States you must put the following limits on your own population as to how they're allowed to buy or own or keep or bear arms. And it would be carried out under the guise of a public health emergency, even though there's no disease involved. Right. Or, or climate change, as another example. They're, they're all about trying to prevent climate change and telling us what to do uh, in order to um, accommodate their, you know, uh, designs. Uh, it could have very far-reaching implications, as, of course, would, you know, seizing our guns for america and for the character of its constitutional republic and that's the point lars what's so worrying about this is the biden administration clearly does not give a fig about our constitutional republic in fact as you know barack obama i call this barack obama's third administration but but in the the first two they were very clear as he said on the eve of his first election we are going to fundamentally transform America. And this is a prime example of what they're doing. Well, then, I mean, if they give away our sovereignty and say these decisions are no longer made by representatives that you choose in elections, they're made by effectively by bureaucrats or appointed people at the head of WHO, including the secretary general of, of WHO, and, and we have nothing to say about it whatsoever. That's basically the way they see this thing working. Yeah, um, they're going to get uh, 190 countries uh, to agree to this arrangement. Um, again, the American people won't be apprised of it. They won't be read in on the terms, and they won't bring it to the Senate for its advice and consent. And that's not just, by the way, Lars, the Biden administration's preference. Our colleague and very much admired leader, Senator Ron Johnson, back in, I want to say, February of last year, offered an amendment on the floor of the United States Senate saying, whatever these guys are cooking up, they have to bring it to us for our formal treaty-making responsibilities. And you know what happened, Lars? What? 
49 senators, which was not a majority but a plurality, said, no, we're not going to do our job. 47 said, oh, yeah, but 49 basically Democrats said, no, we're not going to bring this agreement to the Senate, or there are actually two of them in the works. So our purpose here is this. At SovereigntyCoalition.org, we have a a statement, a, a declaration, we call it, that we urge people to go to and with a click of a mouse, send it to your elected representatives in the House or the Senate, urging that we defund the World Health Organization and we get the United States out of it while we still can. You know, Frank, I, I don't want to add uh, the kitchen sink to your idea, but would there every time somebody says, let's get rid of this, if it's something that seems like it might be desirable if run that way, why not have the United States start its own organization and say, if you're a country like ours, We'd love to have you be, you know, if, if there's a need to have something that goes beyond our borders, because an awful lot of, of legitimate disease problems do go beyond our borders. But let's do it in a way in which those countries are actually represented and where we don't steal their sovereignty. I've always found it more attractive to say, why not do it this way, rather than just say, we're not doing it with WHO, but they'll still be out there and they'll still be looking to the United States because we're the source of so much cash for so many organizations like the UN, which I wish we could defund as well, offer them an alternative as well, except it's, say it's going to be run and respect the sovereignty of the countries that are members. Well, an alternative to that, Lars, is just keep the WHO the way it is. And it's an advisory body. Um, I, I'm for starting over and doing it better, but uh, if you just don't allow it to metastasize in the way that's now contemplated, you'd be closer to the mark than where we're headed. That's okay. for sure. That, then that's fair. That's fair. Well, then, then why would? How do these? Do any of these Democrats answer the question? So, if the WHO tells us to do something, and the American people say, "No, we don't think that's right." We want our representatives to push back. There is no way to push back, is there? There really isn't. And it's scandalous that, um, you know, members are looking the other way at what is a betrayal. You know, each and every one of them, Lars, swore an oath to uh, protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. They're not doing it unless they stand up to this assault on it, which the Biden administration is stealthily engineering. The Biden administration and so many members of Congress, including, count them, 49 Democrats as well. Frank, keep up the good fight. Where's the website, Where's the site for people to send a message to their reps? Uh, SovereigntyCoalition.org is uh, one-stop shopping to tell them you don't want any part of the World Health Organization running our public health policies and your medical freedom. Absolutely. Keep American sovereignty and reject foreign control of that sponsored by china joe biden at the white house frank thanks so very much back in a moment i'll get to your calls and we'll talk about boxing men can now the box Lars larson show All men and the people who love them. 
interviews with authors, experts, and a healthy dose of opinion. Find it at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on Tuesday, the first Tuesday of 2024. And glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And our daily poll on X formerly the Twitter poll, should the plagiarist president of Harvard have been fired or allowed to resign? She has resigned as president of the university. It's worth noting that she's still on the faculty of the university. And if Harvard University does not end up giving her a pink slip altogether, then that institution has completely gone down the drain. Although by my measure, they went down the drain a long, long time ago. But should she have been allowed to resign or should she have been fired as president of Harvard uh, for the misdeeds that she apparently committed as a plagiarist, not to mention her testimony on Capitol Hill. 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Let's go first to John. Hey, John, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Portland local and love listening to your show. Thank you. But when when it goes to commercial and they do their the news segments, when they blatantly lie, it just frustrates me, and I'm not sure what to do about it. Well, tell me what the when lie they, is that you heard, and I'll see what I can do. We have a lot of great affiliates around America, so what what's the lie you're concerned with? I'm not saying they didn't, but just tell me what it was. Well, this particular one is when they state how President Trump is seeking to you know, get back on the ballot in Denver over his involvement in the insurrection on January 6th, when they could have easily said over his involvement in trying to prevent a fraudulent election in January 6th. Well, not only that, but, well, I have a lot of differences that I have with a lot of news organizations on how things get worded. Uh, because wording makes a big difference in how people perceive the Absolutely. story. It's been one of my longstanding complaints that that uh, reporters will often use words that are designed to communicate to the audience what the story means, which is opinion. Okay, so if if I said, for example, uh, Governor So and So of Arkansas is trying to do something, but he's been derailed, well. You know, using that terminology means you're suggesting to the audience this should have happened, but it was stopped. On the other hand, if I said the governor is headed off a plan to do X, Y, or Z, um, then then what you're suggesting to people is that that's something that wasn't supposed to happen and should have been stopped. I mean, there are lots of ways they do that. And in the case of Trump, that story is hard to describe if you're looking at it from a political point of view, because... What they've alleged is that Donald Trump was part of an insurrection. He was not. An insurrection is an attempt to overthrow uh, the legitimate government. What was Trump? What, what was Trump asking, and what were most of the people on January sixth that listened to his speech asking for? A legitimate count of all the legitimate votes of that election. That's not trying to overthrow the current system. That's actually supportive of the system because. If you have a system in which the people voting can't be sure that their votes will be counted at all or or that other votes will be counted that should not have been voted, votes that were cast illegally, then you don't have a legitimate system. That's what they were asking for. And so when Colorado decided, uh, well, we're going to take him off the ballot because he was involved in the insurrection, I kept pointing out, number one, 
The Joe Biden DOJ did not charge Donald Trump with insurrection. If he is guilty of it, then by all means, bring the charges and let's have a trial. He was not guilty of it, which is why I, I think if the Biden Biden DOJ, Department of Justice, had had thought they had a snowball's chance of proving insurrection against Trump, they would have brought the charges. The FBI also investigated. And remember, it was Joe Biden's FBI. And they concluded that Donald Trump was not involved in insurrection. So now you have bureaucrats like the Secretary of State of Maine, who's a politician, a young lady who's a politician, a Democrat. And she says, I'm going to find him guilty of insurrection, a charge that the only time he was ever accused formally of insurrection was in the second impeachment, and he was acquitted by the U.S. Senate. So you're right. It's it's concerning how, how stories get described. Thank you for the call. Let's go to Florida and talk to Joel. Hey, Joel, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. Hi, Lars. Great to talk with you. Uh, I caught the tail end of when you were talking about the WHO and, and, yep. uh, and the World Council, but it, it, it's just... It, there's like the underworld. You know, we have the FBI, we have the CIA, we have our Democrats that aren't even hiding anything anymore, but doing everything against Americans, against the United States. And the other thing is China controls about 84% of our antibiotics. India does a portion of it. And yep. it's, it doesn't make sense. It's, I'm a nurse. It's just pretty stupid. It and is. Uh, to put all, all your eggs is, in that basket, Joel, I mean, to say we're going to make ourselves completely dependent on a foreign country uh, for things that are absolutely essential. Uh, why would you ever do that? And in fact, I, I can think of lots of examples, one in particular, about where even private companies could buy all of right. their supply of one thing or another from a certain source because it's convenient. And, and uh, I've talked to, to people who run big companies like that who say, oh, no, we make sure that we get from a number of different distributors of whatever it is that we think is essential for whatever it is we're doing. We make sure that we don't put all our eggs in one basket. Why? Because you're, you're, it's going to, even if everybody's heart is pure, and I don't think the Chinese are uh, pure in their intentions, it can go bad, badly, if you decide to buy all of one thing from one place, one country, one company, or anything like that. It can be disastrous, can't it? Exactly, and especially since they're the creators of the, uh, you know, the, the, the COVID, and and we yeah, never got. I, I mean, we had to genetically map it. We and we we kept asking, hey, you know, you know the you have the you have the RNA, you know, the RNA replicate, but we had to map it, and then we produced, of course, whatever the the vaccines. That's a whole other controversy. Yes, it is. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, why well, in America? Why are why are we why aren't we gearing up for things that we need instead of you know like I said, there's this underworld, this undercurrent that they people just don't care. I mean, well, and, and what's are, crazy the is Joel. The government is always telling us. The government is always telling us, Joel. Uh, you know that you're going to get storms in Florida now and then, right? Okay, when they come, Joel, make sure yeah. you have some flashlights. And you say, well, why Why shouldn't I just depend on the power company who will always keep the electricity turned on? People would laugh at you if you said that in Florida. You said, Joel, you know the power is going to go out a couple of times a year anyway, so make sure you have flashlights and candles and make sure you got some, some warm clothing and warm, right, you know. Be prepared. Be prepared. And then when, when, as a country, we say, well, we're going to get most of the precursors, even if they're not producing the final 
you know, a product, whether it's a pill or a vaccine or anything else, right. most of the precursor materials are coming from China. And you say, so we're depend we're 100 percent dependent on them. And I'll tell you one you may not even know about. It could benefit us. But years ago, um, there, there are things called uh, breeder reactors. I think they're breeder reactors where they can take nuclear fuel and burn it up. And you say, well, right. how does that relate to Joel's example? Joel? Right. You, as a nurse, I don't know if you're down in, in, in the area where they'd use this, but in almost every hospital in America, they use some radioactive materials like technetium and other one, things for diagnostic right. purposes and even treatment. Do you know that uh, right. America for decades has been almost 100% dependent for all of our ra radioisotope materials that are used in medicine on Canada and Australia? Now, those are two fairly right. friendly countries, but you say... How come right. we don't make our own? You say, well, because Americans were freaked out by a, a Jane Fonda movie and they don't like nuclear power. And you say, so we have to buy our entire supply of radioisotope materials like technetium and such. And you say, yep. And and we're, we're the people who are supposed to be the innovators, the people who are the creative people. Let's get back to making more of our own stuff, if not all of our own stuff. Joel, I thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Back in a moment. You've got the Lars Larson Show. We'll get back to your phone calls and emails in a moment. I want to bring our friend Ryan Walters, the Oklahoma State School Superintendent and former U.S. history teacher. It's good to have you back, and Happy New Year. Yes, sir. Happy New Year, Lars. Thanks for having me on. You bet. I want to ask you about this bill, because uh, I'm, I'm a Protestant Christian, so I certainly have no problem with the Ten Commandments. And and I know that that's, that gets people's back up, the atheists and the heathens and the non-believers and the godless pagans out there, but they... They apparently don't like the idea of this bill in the Oklahoma legislature that would require the ten posting of the Ten Commandments in every public school classroom in the state of Oklahoma. I think it's great. Yeah, they're losing their mind about it over here. But, you know, we, we've been talking about this, you know, for about a year now, where I've put together a group of faith leaders from all different backgrounds. And, and I asked them, I said, guys, give, give us some recommendations on, on what you think we can do to address just the rampant, um, societal problems that we see of the immorality in society. We see drug use going through the roof, teenage pregnancy going through the roof, um, uh, uh, teen suicide going through the roof. You know, what, what can we do? And one of their recommendations was, hey, we need to get back to understanding the foundational truths of Western civilization and the United States of America. And, and one of those recommendations was the Ten Commandments should be displayed in every classroom. It should be something that we continue to bring our students back to as part of our history. And this is where, you know, your ACLUs, all these radical left-wing law groups, they're dead wrong on this. It is the history of the country. We were founded with a Judeo-Christian heritage. It is a historical context that you can have those in to help include in our discussions with kids that that is the basis of law of Western civilization and the United States of America, and frankly, we have got to be getting back to a place where we're talking about those values in the classrooms. 
I agree with you. And, and I mean, you look at the list. I mean, for me, it's something that I try to live my life by. And of course, I'm failed because I'm a sinner, which means I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be perfect and I'm not going to claim to be perfect. But you follow those rules. You're going to, you're going to stay out of trouble. But the ACLU and others are going to go into court and argue this is the, that crosses the establishment line, meaning, you know, that the government isn't supposed to establish a religion. Does posting the Ten Commandments establish a religion? Absolutely not, because what you're doing here is you're providing your students with the historical context of the Judeo-Christian values the country was founded on, and I can prove to you that it doesn't violate the Establishment Clause, because schools were doing this for 140 years before a court in the 1960s said, oh, magically, you know, we're going to we're going to say that there's this separation of church and state. There's this wall. You know, we found this letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist, and we're going to misapply it entirely and, and use it to weaponize the federal government against Christianity. They don't do that till the 1960s. Until the 1960s, if you would have walked into a schoolhouse, you would have heard some kids praying in a minute of si- and some kids taking a moment of silence. You would have seen kids standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. You would have seen, you would have seen uh, Scripture on the walls. You would have seen the Ten Commandments. So this clearly did not violate the Establishment Clause. We have historical precedent to show this was universally being done for over a century till a liberal court decided to weaponize its jurisprudence against Christians. Yeah, and, and this is going to be decided by the courts, in which, in, in, including the U.S. Supreme Court, that actually has freezes, I guess they're called freezes, not bas-reliefs, that are on the walls of the courtroom, uh, of the courthouse, and, uh, and, and, and those have a religious basis, too, do they not? They absolutely do, and for any of your listeners that have been to D.C., it's everywhere. Guess what? Guess who is the, su- the supreme lawgiver? When you go into the House <laughs> of Representatives, if you ever get to go into the floor, they've got all the lawgivers. Guess who is the number one biggest head of all of them facing you? The rest of them are facing away. There's only one person facing you as you're voting. It's Moses. Yep. I mean, you know, it's just unbelievable when you hear these leftists try to contort themselves that, oh, this is what the, this is what the Establishment Clause was about. And I'm going, guys, that has never been viewed that way until about 40 years ago in our nation's history. That They would actually weaponize the Establishment Clause, I'm putting air quotes around this, to mean that you can't have any kind of semblance of Judeo-Christian values and even historical laws. You're talking about you know, establishing the country and making sure we're making good citizens to continue this country forward. How do you do that if you don't have an honest conversation about laws, about our rights come from God? Well, why did the founders say that? Well, where, where's the context for these Judeo-Christian beliefs? What are those beliefs? You have to have that. Well, and, and the other thing that I always remind people of, and, and I'm sure you do as well, is that if you don't believe your rights come from God, then where do they come from? And I know a lot of liberals and progressives say, well, they come from the government. I said, so the government gave them to me and now they can take them away? If, if they're my inalienable rights given to me by God, nobody can, no man, no government can take them away from me. If it's, if it's other than that, and I'm, I'm not even sure, is there a country, you're a history teacher, is there a country on earth that says your rights come from God and not from a document like a constitution? No, that was, that was what changed the course of human events, was 
are, you know, because you, you remember, you know, the Magna Carta teases this out as well, but not in the same way. But the Declaration is the first time we're really saying, listen, we are going to create a government. But let's be really clear. The government derives its power from the people, right, that we're giving over some of that. But it, initially, all of your rights come from God. They can never overstep that, that, that line. And it has kept us from so many of the failings and the collapse that we've seen other countries face. Because, again, hey, guess what? You know, this is something else that people need to go back. Hey, read the Soviet Union. They claim that you, you had rights. Guess what? They had these documents that gave individuals rights. But guess what? When the supreme leader can take away those rights whenever they want, that's really pretty meaningless rights. Now, isn't it? The unique thing about America was, no, I'm sorry, no individual, whether elected or unelected, can take away those rights. That is unique in the course of human history, and it has given us the ability to be the greatest country in the history of the world. Well, how does a history, if you were back teaching history, or all the you know, history teachers are still doing in Oklahoma, how do they teach the U.S. Constitution without starting with that basic? All these rights come from God. Really? You can talk about God? We have to. If you don't talk about him, you can't, you can't talk about the rights of Americans. They don't come from a document. It's not a grant. It's a limitation on government. So how would a, t a history teacher teach uh, history, American history, and the Constitution without that? This is a great question. I'm so glad you asked this. This is what I saw in the classroom from other teachers. This is what I've seen across the state and across the country. What they do is they take the secularized view, and they capture just a few quotes here and there from <laughs> Jefferson. They completely take them out of context, and that's all they talk about, Lars. They skip over the Great Awakening. They skip over, frankly, the, the religious members of the Constitutional Convention, when you're sitting here going, these, these people are ordained ministers, some of them. They take all, none of that's going to be read. And frankly, they don't read the founding document. Unfortunately. That's Ryan Walters. He is the superintendent of Oklahoma State Schools. Ryan, thanks very much, and Happy New Year to you. 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. The Lars Larson Show. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you in a brand new year, 2024. And if I sound excited, it's because I expect this year to end with President-elect Donald Trump getting ready to resume the Oval Office after that crazy election of 2020. I think that's what's going to happen. I don't expect Joe Biden to be anywhere near the contest, but that's my take. Glad to have you with me for a little honestly provocative talk radio. And if you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every single day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our, well, we used to call it the Twitter poll. We now call it the poll on X. Should the plagiarist president of Harvard have been allowed to uh, resign? from that job as she was, or should she have been fired? 
And, of course, we're talking about uh, the woman, Claudine Gay, who's only been president of Harvard for the last six months. She stays on the faculty. She resigns as president. Why? Well, because she's got, well, she's got a lot of people that say she stole the information. She, she plagiarized information from her fellow academics, plus her rather, uh, I don't know, disgusting behavior on Capitol Hill when she sat and tried to explain why anti Semitism on campus at Harvard was perfectly okay as long as you understood the context of which in which that anti-Semitism was offered up. But should she have been allowed to resign or should she have been fired from her job? I would vote for fired would be my answer. In any case, glad to have you with me. Today's Twitter poll is brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I join. You should, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. But I had mentioned that there is a bill before the legislature in the state of Oklahoma, which I wholeheartedly endorse. I don't know the sponsor of the bill. I, I know his name, but I don't know him personally. He would like to see the Ten Commandments posted in every single classroom in every public school in the state of Oklahoma. And I think it's a terrific idea, although I expect the American Crooks and Lawyers Union, the ACLU, to show up immediately and bring suit. But I think I think we can beat them before this Supreme Court. In any case, I thought we'd talk to our first naysayer. Uh, Diane, uh, my producers tell me you're a naysayer on this subject about this bill before the legislature in Oklahoma to put the Ten Commandments in every public school classroom. Welcome to the program and tell me what we uh, why we disagree about that. Okay. Um, uh, first of all, Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. And um, certainly agree with you on almost everything you say. Uh, definitely hoping for Trump to be uh, the president at the end of this year. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the, the Ten Commandments, whoa, I'm looking at them right now, and I'm like, uh, this is not going to apply to many people. Um, keep the Sabbath day holy. I mean, there's so many people that don't even know what the Sabbath is. And, and why should it be in a children's classroom where it says you shall not commit adultery? Well, because I, mean, I, I would hope that kids would learn from an early age. They seem to be teaching them gender and DEI and a bunch of other things at an early age. Should you teach them from an early age uh, that when two people are married, they should stay true to each other? Well, I, yeah, I mean, it's... I don't Anything think wrong with that? I don't think they should be delving into any adult subjects. They should be learning to read and write and spell and, and do math. You know, that's what they should be focusing on. But, but yeah, number three is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I mean, I'm... I, I was raised as a Republican, but not as an atheist, and I'm just like, I couldn't, I, I would not want to try to follow these rules myself. Well, but yet let, me ask you, let me ask you something then. Um, when these kids are taught in public school the Constitution, you know, the, the rights that they have, and they're, you know, all of us had to walk through the inalienable rights and, and all that. Right. Where are you going to tell those kids those rights come from? I don't think it, it just comes from your from the society at large. It, I mean, because no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Beca well, because well, and I can you know, tell you why. If if they are inalienable rights of every single human being in the view of the founders, they didn't just come from public consensus. Because you're suggesting they came. Why do you think that they they the the founders of the country said these come from God? If they came from public consensus, that would mean that if someday 
the, the public consensus was, as it seems to be going that direction, that certain things are okay, then, then, then your rights would change based on what public opinion says about your rights? Right, but I'm just saying there's so many people that don't have the belief in the, the Christian God that are... They don't so have to, and- but, they, but they can understand that the people who founded the country said, whether you believe in God or not, you have these rights because we believe you were co- created by God. If they didn't come from God, Diane, they had to come from somewhere. I mean, my employees, I may tell my employees, uh, when you're at work, you're allowed to do this and you're not allowed to do that. I don't do a lot of rule writing, but those rules come from me, which means I can change them anytime I want. But our rights as human beings, the rights that are protected from government interference in the, in the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, of the U.S. Constitution, they had to come from somewhere. And if they, you know, just like if I said to you, I write rules, I, I don't write a lot of rules, but if I wrote rules for my employees saying we will never do X, then that rule is coming from me. It means I can change it anytime I want. What are you going to teach kids about where their rights come from, if not from a Christian I'm God? I'm sorry, but the Ten Commandments are not about even the rights. I mean, the first one says, one, you shall have no other gods before me. No, I know, and, and I'm answering your question, Diane. I'm starting with this basis. If you tell them, we can't mention God, we can't mention don't, taking, don't take the Lord's name in vain, if we say you should have no other God before me, okay, that's your objection to the Ten Commandments. Well, which, who are you going to tell those kids their rights come from, if not from God? I don't know. I don't think they really need to know. It's just, you just need to you tell them. You don't think they need, need hold on, Diane, Diane, you're going to tell all these kids, you have these rights. Is any one of those kids going to say, who decided I get those rights and not others? And you'd have to say, well, it came from this mysterious guy we're not allowed to mention. Uh, his no, name is God. No, I don't God, even think you we're... need to get into that at all. This is a public school. It's part of the government, and we have a, a division between church and state. Where is that? Uh, no, hold on. And now, now, if you heard the interview with Ryan Walters, he made the point, there is nothing in the Constitution or the Declaration that mentions a separation of church and state. That is from a letter written by Thomas Jefferson to the Bapt, I think they were Baptist ministers saying the government shouldn't be messing in your religion. It didn't say religion doesn't have a role in our government. And in fact, it has a very large role. It spells out, you know, our belief in the belief of the founders in God is what created our inalienable rights, rights you can't have taken away from you. So it is important where they came from, isn't it? I don't think my rights came from from this Christian God you're referring to. Well, where do you to think they sure. came from? They came from an agreement. What what agreement? There is no grant of rights in the Constitution. There's nothing in the Constitution saying the public has these rights. It says government don't mess with their rights. They got their rights from God, and they are inalienable. Diane, great naysayer. Thank you for the call. Good way to start 2024. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Brutal Honesty, whether you like it or not, 
with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on the first Tuesday of 2024. And I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails, too. There are a few things I want to get to you uh, before we end this segment, because these are important things. Number one, if you ever wondered why was Joe Biden the big guy getting 10% of every single deal that his son Hunter Biden had cut in places like uh, Ukraine, in uh, Kazakhstan, in Moscow, and in Beijing. Well, maybe we have an answer now. The Daily Caller is reporting the Biden administration has drastically simplified the vetting process for Chinese illegal aliens. They did that almost a year ago, April of last year, according to internal documents, emails obtained from U.S. Customs and Border Protection. The Daily Caller News Foundation got the emails. It was sent by a CBP supervisor, that's Border Patrol, to a master list of 500 Border Patrol agents. It tells, it deliberately instructs CBP officials to radically reduce the number of interview questions for Chinese migrants, so-called illegal aliens, apprehended after crossing illegally into America, from 40 questions to just five. So we want to make it a whole lot easier for people who've come into our country illegally from China specifically reduce the number of questions you're asking. The former law enforcement official who provided the email says that human smuggling operations quickly adapted to these new guidelines. They coached Chinese illegals in how to answer the shorter list of questions. Now, 40 questions, that might have been very difficult. But J.J. Carell, who's a retired CBP deputy patrol officer cited in this Daily Caller story, says the smuggling operations were highly coordinated. He says they told DCNF that illegal aliens are coached from the beginning of their journey. The stories are identical. The streets and the names they use just differ because of the nations they are from. It also says, this email also says, that Chinese illegal aliens who pass the field agent's five basic questions must be released into the interior of the United States. Border Patrol has already encountered 35,000 illegal aliens from China at the border between 2022 and 2023 encounters with Chinese illegal aliens surged more than 1000 percent in just a one year period. So you have fighting age males, not with their families, claiming they're coming in seeking asylum. They have left their families behind in communist China and come to America. And now you've got China Joe Biden, who's ordered the CBP to simplify the process and make it easier for Chinese illegal aliens to come into the United States. Maybe that's what they were buying with that 10% for the big guy and the millions of dollars that Hunter Biden demanded be paid to himself and to his dad. Our daily poll on X, formerly Twitter, should the plagiarist president of Harvard have been fired or allowed to resign a few hours ago? We found out that Claudine Gay, who has been the president of Harvard, she has been under fire, and rightly so, because of the answers she gave on Capitol Hill when asked about anti-Semitism on the Harvard campus. But she had another problem. She had a whole bunch of people, other academics, who had written papers that apparently she'd borrowed from. She is an alleged plagiarist, not that I think that's going to be adjudicated anytime soon, although I would hope that some of the people she plagiarized from, allegedly, would go to court and seek some kind of compensation. That young lady, Claudine Gay, got a top-flight position as president of Harvard, and she apparently got there, allegedly, 
based on the stolen stuff she put in her papers claiming to be her own. Now, I mentioned Joe Biden. We now got the final numbers for 2023. Joe Biden spent one third of the last year at a getaway spot, either one of his two Delaware homes, a vacation site or Camp David. Now, what happened was the New York Post went through all the public records. He was away at one of those locations, uh, 138 days in 2023. That is 37% of the entire year. And uh, by the way, the left-wing mayors of New York, Chicago, and Denver, they've now joined forces to demand that the federal government give them billions of dollars in funding to take care of illegal aliens in those cities. I hope the Congress, and especially the House of Representatives, tells them to pound sand. They have no business getting that. They're in favor of sanctuary cities or states. They are sanctuary cities or states. They're getting the illegal aliens. It is now their problem as well. Oh, and then the uh, non-binary baggage bandit, Sam Brinton, the guy who used to work for the Biden administration, apparently cross-dresser. He was stealing luggage at various uh, airports. Well, he ended 2023 not in custody. He was free, despite the fact that he faces multiple charges relating to alleged airport baggage thefts in multiple states. So we're still keeping an eye on the doings of Sam Brinton. And then this. 231 service members and veterans have signed a letter to inform military leaders there was a group of troops and vets pledging to the American public they will do everything within their power to stop the willful destruction of our military by its own leadership after the unconstitutional prosecution of service members' free exercise of religion. This goes back to the jab. It was all those service members who said, okay, the military has said you have to take the mRNA so-called vaccine. Remember the vaccine? Don't anybody forget the jab. The jab that was supposed to protect you from ever getting COVID, it didn't. It was supposed to protect you from ever getting seriously ill, it did not. It was supposed to mean that you couldn't pass the disease to others, it did not. So you have all of that. These 231 service members have signed this letter saying, we're going to make sure that when you serve in the United States military, you sign away your life and your freedom for a period of service, which Americans appropriately honor. But if you do that, you do not give up your free exercise of religion or your right to say, I'm not taking the jab. There were an awful lot of service members who were pushed out of the service, some of them just short of retirement, and they were told, you have to take the jab. Joe Biden has tried to do that to others. He has been unsuccessful, thank God, and we will continue to remember that lesson that we learned. It was a painful one, but we learned it well during the pandemic. And then I want to tell you this. If you think you're not getting the straight story from the mainstream media, the legacy media, ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, et cetera, et cetera, and all the cable giants as well, there's a brand new study out from the American Journalist, which is a an online magazine. It finds that when they look at journalists in American newsrooms, they find that just 3.4% of them are Republicans. That shows that 10 times more reporters self-identify as Democrats than as Republicans, and the percentage of those who call themselves Republicans has steadily declined for 50 years. Now, with that, if you know that, can you really call that fair and balanced? I don't think so. 
Glad to be with you. And if you want to take my, if you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's 866 Hey Lars. That's 866 439 5277. Send your emails to talk at larslarson.com. And a shout out to our friends in Ellensburg, Washington. They listen to great talk radio on KXLE. That's AM 1240 in Ellensburg. And you can find my show there as well. I did want to give you an update on what's going on in our nation's capital. It really should be a city that we're all proud of. And what goes on in the city of Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, is absolutely shameful. The nation's capital recorded more homicides last year than in any year since 1997, the highest rate in a quarter of a century. That gives the District of Columbia the fifth highest murder rate among the nation's big cities, a rate of 40 homicides per 100,000 residents. The district was deadlier than 55 of America's 60 most populous cities, behind only New Orleans, Cleveland, Baltimore, and Memphis. Homicides surged in Washington. They actually dropped in a few other places, including New York and Chicago, but Washington, D.C., With their city council and their crazy ideas about what should be allowed and what should be punished and not punished, that's where Washington, D.C. is going just about now. Coming up in a moment, Joe Biden ended 2023 with the worst job approval rating of any modern president heading into an election year. Coming up in a moment, I found a great list. Mark Thiessen from Washington Post. Believe it or not, the source, don't consider the source, but consider this, the 10 biggest reasons why he ended up with the worst job approval rating of any president in American history, modern history. We'll talk about that next on The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Join the best conversation in talk journalism at 866-HEY-LARS. She, she was very specific recently saying that a mom, a poor mother who lost two kids to fentanyl, that, that I killed her sons. Well, the interesting thing is that fentanyl they took came during the last administration. (laughs) You know, I guess it shouldn't surprise anybody in the world that Joe Biden is trying to find a way to blame the current troubles of the Biden administration on actions of Donald Trump. I mean, I don't know how many of you remember this, but as a reporter and talk show host during the Obama administration, it became a running joke. The extent to which Barack Hussein Obama would say, well, there's a problem. Well, it's because of George W. Bush. He found an excuse to blame Bush for every single problem he had. And a lot of us, I mean, I was one of them, who looked at that and said, you might be able to get away for maybe six months or, or even a year with blaming your predecessor for all of your problems. The last time I remember uh, Biden, or sorry, Obama, uh, blaming uh, George W. Bush for his troubles, for the troubles during his presidency, and there were plenty of them, was about 2012 when he finally gave up trying to blame the last guy. Now, I know that some of you have held jobs where you come into a job and the boss says, hey, have you fixed that yet? And you say, well, no, my predecessor made this difficult to fix, but I'm fixing it as fast as I can. Barack Obama 
wanted to blame George W. Bush for everything wrong that went wrong during his administration. While, of course, as Barack Obama was wont to do, he would, uh, he would actually take credit for everything that went well and blame his predecessor for everything that went badly. So to have Joe Biden say, well, you know, this lady who lost her sons, well, uh, she lost them because of Donald Trump. Donald Trump's the reason that we've got fentanyl in the country. Now, do I think we could ever make America completely free of fentanyl? Probably not. But could we have a lot better controls on the border? Yes. Could we send a message to the Chinese and say, you're not allowed to send that stuff in a way that it ends up with it on the streets of American cities? Uh, yes, you could do all that. Uh, has Joe Biden chosen not to do that? He has. And now he's trying to say, well, that was Trump. I mean, Trump, Trump's administration ended almost three years ago. And Joe Biden is still trying to blame him for all the problems he's got now. But I saw this great list. Mark Thiessen at the Washington Post uh, used to talk to Mark on the air from time to time. He, he's, I don't agree with him on everything, but uh, I certainly disagree with him on some of his positions. He's a little bit more of a uh, uh, more establishment Republican than I am. But he came up with a great list, and I thought I'd share some of it with you. But full credit to Mark Thiessen. The 10 worst things that President Joe Biden did in 2023. Let me go through the list. I'll start with number 10. He made child care, the crisis of child care in America, worse, worse than it was. And he says uh, they, they took a look at the child care costs in America have now been rising at twice the rate of inflation. And that, of course, makes things worse because as there are, you know, there are problems with paying for child care. If you raise the cost of child care faster than pe people can afford it, I mean, child care is sort of an either-or proposition. You either have it or you don't have it. There's no halfway in that. The Biden administration put forward a plan that would double the cost of hiring what are called au pairs by tying compensation to state and local laws on minimum wage, which effectively puts the program out of the reach for many American working families. Now, the elites, the elites can still get au pairs and child care, but apparently... Average folks, not so much. Number nine, he made us more dependent, says Thiessen, on Russian uranium. And we talked about this almost endlessly uh, because you had the Hillary Clinton deal in which Russia was allowed to buy a company that controlled about 20% of American uranium reserves. But that was during Obama, Biden, and Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State. What did Joe Biden do? And we talked about this last year when it happened. He restricted development on more than one million acres of land that includes the only U.S. source of high-grade uranium ore. And how did he do that? Did he, do, did he go to the Congress? Uh, did he ask the American people? No. He simply declared a one million acre piece of land near the Grand Canyon, not at the Grand Canyon, but near the Grand Canyon. He declared it a national monument. And by doing so, he put it off limits for being able to harvest uranium there that is some of the richest uranium deposits in America. Now, why would we want to do that? Well, Biden isn't exactly pushing us quickly toward a nuclear future. And the Greens who support Joe Biden, they don't like nuclear anyway. He circumvented the Supreme Court on student loan forgiveness. Now, this is a pretty obvious one because in 2022, Joe Biden tried to wipe out almost half a trillion dollars in student debt. Now, 
I know that some of you disagree with my point of view on this. My point of view is you took out the loans. You decided what to study in college. You found that what you bought with all that education money was not worth the money that you had paid for it. And then you turned around and tried to say, so we don't want to pay the money back. I don't think that's right. The president used other means to wipe out $132 billion in student loan debt. And that forces blue-collar workers who, as I like to say, most of them have never sat in a college classroom, never had a shot at getting a degree, and yet they end up paying the bill for all the, and I'll, I'll call them this, deadbeat students. If you are somebody who took out a loan and you don't want to pay the loan back and you then refuse to pay the loan back and somebody like Joe Biden makes it possible to pay the loan back from somebody else's paycheck, then you are a deadbeat. He tried to do it. The Supreme Court said, no, you can't do it. So he found a way to do almost a quarter of a little more than a quarter of what he had planned to do. He had planned to wipe out half a trillion. Instead, it was 132 billion blue collar money being used to pay off the bad debts of students who didn't want to, you know, stand up to their responsibility. He failed to police anti-Semitism on the left. And what's really crazy about this, there were a lot of Democrats who said, well, Donald Trump, he's uh, anti-Semitic. Donald Trump is a granddad who loves his grandkids who are Jewish. He likes his daughter who married a Jewish man and converted to Judaism. And yet it was Joe Biden who said, well, it's Donald Trump. He's the anti-Semite there. Biden declared his presidency in 2019, as Thiessen points out. He condemned the right-wing bigots in Charlottesville who are chanting the same anti-Semitic bile heard across Europe in the 30s. And yet, when anti-Semitism reared its head on American college campuses after the Hamas attack last October 7th, did Joe Biden stand up and object to it? No, it was happening on Joe Biden's watch. He wasn't going to do that. And then Thiessen points out, we've talked a lot on this show about the Chinese spy balloon, the one that the Biden administration tried to keep secret until it was spotted by a civilian who looked up and said, what the heck is that thing up there? So they got this 20-story Chinese balloon that's floating across our country. And then the Biden administration tried to make us believe, well, it's just a Chinese weather balloon, nothing to worry about. We now know that that balloon had spy devices on it, was gathering in information, radio information, pictures, the whole nine yards. And how was it getting all that information back to mainland China? They found a way to tap into American Internet providers and send the information right back to communist China. Once again, 10% for the big guy. Why do you think that's happening? He's also allowed Iran to attack U.S. forces without any kind of consequence whatsoever. Now, did Donald Trump do that? No, he told Iran's leaders, knock it off. You kill a single American, there will be consequences. He executed Qasem Soleimani in 2020. So then, October 7th, Iran's the Iran-supported Hamas terrorists killed more than 30 Americans during the attack on Israel. And since then, there have been more than 100 attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq, Syria, and the Red Sea. And yet, what does Joe Biden say to the mad mullahs of Tehran? Not so very much at all. It's absolutely a shameful record. Americans would be crazy to vote for that guy. Glad to be with you on a Tuesday, first Tuesday of 2024. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show.
get enough Lars? Follow him on Twitter at Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you in 2024. So happy new year to you and happy new year to Matt Lamb, who's associate editor with the College Fix. Matt, good to have you on in the new year. Thanks for having me back and happy new year. Would you mind telling me, and I think his name is pronounced John Clauser. He's a Nobel Prize winning scientist, and he was supposed to talk about six months ago or maybe a little bit more than that at an International Monetary Fund uh, event, and then all of a sudden he got canceled out. Have you managed to uh, suss out what exactly happened there and why? Right. So, uh, as you said, he was supposed to speak um, in July, and there was some uh, pushback, is what we heard, um, about his views on climate change. And he basically says that, you know, we don't need to necessarily worry about climate change. He's a Nobel Prize winning physicist. He developed his own climate modeling and he he was canceled. And of course, cancel culture, that's nothing new. What made it worse is that the IMF contacted us and said, no, 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 no. He wasn't canceled. We're going to have a discussion later. Later this year, we're going to have a discussion. We're going to have a discussion later. Well, it's now January 2nd, 2024. And it's been, uh, quote, postponed indefinitely, which is to say it's been canceled. Yeah. So so they give this phony baloney explanation instead of just owning up and saying, OK, we can. He disagreed with the uh, point of view of the people at the IMF. So we just canceled them out and said he won't be speaking at all. What is there? Did, were you able to determine a reason why they didn't just simply tell you the truth? Why did a government agency lie? I mean, we we could spend all day talking about that. Um, we actually did talk to John Clauser, and he said, you know, I don't know exactly why, but he, he said, I'm going to give you this quote. I suspect that people don't like being told and or having it said that they have made trillion dollar errors, which is effectively what I'm saying, because he disagrees with this United Nations intergovernmental panel on on climate change. And, you know, he he's he's. He, study quantum computers he's a physicist and he said no if you look at my models you don't necessarily need to be as worried as we are and the former imf employee who invited clauser is no longer there and so you know we could certainly look into why she's no longer there well and when you call it a multi-trillion dollar mistake it really is because the consequence of governments around the planet believing in the ipcc or not believing in what they conclude really leads to big decisions about how we generate power, how we use power, and all those other things. And those are decisions that do cost trillions of dollars over time, don't they? Absolutely. So it's not just the money spent directly, but it's all of the uh, you know climate change, green energy, Green New Deal policies. And the other thing is that you know we as taxpayers ultimately fund the United Nations. And so we should want our policymakers to be informed and to hear from people like John Clauser and others in developing their policies. But this is exactly how academia works, exactly how the science community, unfortunately, often works is they silence everyone that disagrees with them. And then they say, look, everyone, 97 percent of people agree with 97 percent of scientists agree with us. So it's just a classic, uh, you know. I don't know, Matt, what really troubles me, I've always loved science. I don't think I had the math or the other skills to go into science. But one of the things I liked about it was, you know, if if, if uh, scientist Matt Lamb sits down and does a bunch of experiments and says, hey, I found something brand new, I'm going to publish it. When you publish it, they openly invite 
a bunch of other people who know that subject well, whatever it happens to be, could be nuclear physics, could be astronomy, and they say, hey, take Matt's paper and tear it to shreds if you can. Find every flaw you can find in it. We're going to fix We're going to tell Matt he has to fix all those flaws before we're going to be willing to publish his paper in any kind of journal. That's what science does. Science goes in and double checks and says, yeah, Matt's conclusions were all wrong. He made these experiments, forgot to wash his hands before he did that last experiment, and that changed the results. That's what science is about, isn't it? Well, well, it is. And, you know, we, we can see the different uh, predictions made by the so-called climate change or global warming experts over the years. I mean, I said I, I want to give Al Gore credit. My entire life, he's been saying that the world is going to end in 10 years. Uh, and he's stuck consistently to that message over the past 25 years. Um, but what you're saying is exactly true, that we should be able to debate these ideas openly and not shut down people who go against the so, so, supposed consensus. Well, and in fact, lately, they seem to have changed their tune. It was always a 10-year prediction or a 20-year prediction. You know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I think, said that, and she's no scientist. She's a bartender. But, you know, as a member of Congress, you'd say, the whole world's going to come to an end in 12 years if we don't act on this. I'm not sure what these people are going to do when they actually get to those dates and they've made these very public predictions, and, and then they turn out to be wrong. Uh, and, and seriously wrong in most cases, including disappearing uh, ice uh, in the Arctic and, and the rest of that. Uh, this stuff has been seriously flawed, and yet science isn't held to account on this. Absolutely, exactly. And they'll, they'll just keep moving the goalposts. I mean, there's people have predicted the end of the world, you know, the, the rapture or whatever the case is. There's, there's and people have pointed out that they don't necessarily say they're wrong. They just move the date. They'll say, oh, no, we misread this the charts or the stars or whatever, and it's actually going to happen in 20 years. And, and it's very much the same way with the uh, climate extremists, or the, I'm sorry, the climate change proponents, I should say. Um, and, and that's why it's important that they listen to people like John Clauser, who may or may not have a better model, but we don't know if we don't let him talk and we don't, you know, see what he has to say. And, and we continue to shut up people like him. I mean, I know that Jimmy Carter doesn't have long on this earth, and I, and I don't wish him ill, uh, you know, I've, I've interviewed his wife and he seems like he was, did very good work for Habitat for Humanity, but he was a terrible president. But he's the guy who said, we're going to be completely out of oil by the 1990s. And you say, gee, I think uh, that one didn't that one didn't age very well. You'd almost think that the whole scientific community would start to course correct and start to, to dr draw back on some of these dire predictions, understanding that they're now getting caught. The dates have actually come and gone and and they, and those things never happened. Exactly. Um, and, you know, we still have President Jimmy Carter's Department of Energy. So while he oh may God. have been wrong on climate, he effectively is still kind of in charge of our climate policy through through the DOE. And how, how much good has that been doing us lately? I mean, we don't have nuclear power yet. We don't have fusion. And uh, and who knows what will happen this summer when, when California starts to see its grid fail as everybody goes home and tries to charge their electric-powered cars. Matt, thanks for the work you do at The College Fix. You want to tell people where to find your story? Sure. You can go to thecollegefix.com. We just posted it today. So if you check it out today, it'll be at the top. If you check it out tomorrow, it'll just be a, a little bit down the page. And, uh, you know, follow us on social media and, uh, and please check out the story and our other stories from our student reporters.
I, I happen to live in the state of Washington. I know they'll probably have to change the name one of these days because of DEI. But uh, apparently some of the media in Washington state have started asking the uh, climate change guy, Jay Inslee, the governor of the state, hey, you made all these predictions about the things you're going to do. I mean, actual set deadlines and goals and everything else. And he hasn't been making any of them. He's been missing badly. So even at the local level, uh, they're starting to, to find uh, the crows are coming home to roost. And that are chickens, whichever you prefer. Whichever one is more environmentally sustainable. Glad to have you with me, Matt. Thanks so much and Happy New Year. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. I almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show, and welcome to 2024, the year that America's going to be made great again by the election of Donald Trump, but we've got to wait for that in November. Just watch what's going to happen over the next 11 months or so. Glad to have you with me in this new year, and I want to ask you this question. Will Democrat plans to deny the ballot to American Trump voters lead to the next civil war? Now, I want to go over the latest developments involving the state of Maine. You already know about the state of Colorado. A number of other states are seeing legal challenges to try to deny to American voters the ability to cast a ballot for Donald John Trump. Now, does that make any sense? It does not. Have American states ever tried to keep a president off the ballot? And if you answered no, you'd be wrong. It happened over over 150 years ago and it involved Abraham Lincoln in 1860. But there are people who are getting a one detail of that wrong, and I'll get into that in just a moment. First, welcome to the Lars Larson Show in 2024. Welcome to the best conversation in talk journalism. And if you want to join in, that's easy to do. 866-HEY-LARS. Or if you're a naysayer, you go right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And I want you to vote in the uh, poll on X. I guess that's the new working title we're going to use. The poll on X, formerly known as the Twitter poll. And today's question, and this has to do with news that just broke in the last several hours. Should Harvard... Harvard, arguably one of the most prestigious schools, although I would never send my granddaughter to Harvard. If she were offered a free ride, I'd say avoid that place like the plague right now. Now she's seven and a half, so that doesn't have to apply. But Harvard has now allowed its president, its plagiarist president, Claudine Gay, to resign. I think she ought to be unfired. I mean, this is something strange that happens in most of America. If you work a regular job like my job or the job you have, you can be fired. But above a certain paycheck and above a certain position in society, I've told people for years, you never really get fired. You are allowed to resign. You say, oh, I'm going to go spend more time with my family. Nobody ever gets fired above a certain pay grade. I think we should make that happen. I mean, Harvard is a private institution, but here's the way I framed the question. 
Should Harvard have allowed alleged plagiarist President Claudine Gay to resign instead of being fired? And I would say no. She should have been fired instead of being allowed to resign. Or would you say it's good enough that she resigned? In fact, one of my listeners, Ken, wrote in to me because we were kind of thinking on the same lines. He said, Lars, this event took too long to happen. She, meaning Claudine Gay, the former, now former president of Harvard, should not have been allowed to resign. She should have been fired. My first thoughts when I heard about her plagiaristic propensities were to know if Harvard had taken any recent disciplinary actions to any of its students for plagiarism. From what I've read, Harvard has dismissed more than 20 students just in the year 2022 for plagiarism. And Ken is exactly right. Fact is, if you're caught engaging in copying somebody else's work, what is known as plagiarism, you're going to get kicked out of Harvard. Except if you're the president of Harvard and you've been copying other academics' work to their detriment. And some of those academics are pretty angry about what happened. Uh, Ken writes, if that truly happened to these students, I would expect to see at least 20 lawsuits being filed against Harvard if Ms. Gay was allowed to keep her job. If I'd been a Harvard student disciplined for plagiarism and saw this play out in her favor, I damn sure would have had my student record cleansed of any wrongdoing and be placed back in the student body and any legal expenses reimbursed by Harvard. So... Our question today, should Harvard have allowed alleged plagiarist President Claudine Gay to resign instead of being fired? No, she should have been fired is my answer. You can answer any way you like. You can find the Twitter poll at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. I'll tell you what, it is so crazy. These days that you have standards like this, allegedly the longest standing and most prestigious university in America, although it is completely liberal and its indoctrination is what it does to its kids. The fact that they would allow this woman to simply resign her post instead of firing her for the kind of uh, actions that would have got a student fired, I think is absolutely outrageous. But let me go back to the ballot question, because, as you know, state of Colorado has already said a judge has said that they will remove Donald Trump from the ballot. Now, a lot of people think of this as a slight to Trump. It is. But it's also a slight to voters. It's saying to voters, you're not allowed to vote for this guy. Why? Because we believe that he engaged in insurrection. Now, I know you're going to hear that from some of your liberal friends. They say, well, he was involved in an insurrection. Really? Did the Biden DOJ charge him with insurrection? No, they did not. Did the Biden DOJ charge other people with insurrection? Yes, they did. A half a dozen men were accused of engaging in an insurrection. And what did the FBI find when they looked at Donald Trump and said, did we find evidence that Donald Trump engaged in insurrection? And the answer was, no, they did not. So Trump was never charged with insurrection, except for one place. He was impeached by Nancy Pelosi, who wanted an excuse. She wanted an excuse for a second impeachment because the Democrats, even then, in January of 2021, were absolutely desperate to find a way to keep Donald Trump off the ballot. They knew that Trump was going to win. And in fact, that's what's driving this current effort in Colorado, having him kicked off the ballot. And then the secretary of state of Colorado saying, hey, until the Supreme Court hears this case and makes the decision, I'm leaving him on the primary election ballot. And there are now 16 different lawsuits in 16 various states that say uh, that are challenging Donald Trump being on the ballot. In other words, the Democrats are so desperate to beat Trump 
and they know they can't beat him. They have become, as I called uh, them before uh, the Christmas break, the, the party of Tanya Harding. Do you remember Tanya Harding, the uh, talented figure skater, but not talented enough? She knew that she was likely to lose to Nancy Kerrigan. So way back in the day, some of Tanya's friends, she was never convicted of the actual assault, but she was, she did face some legal consequences because of her connection to that Trump, that attempt. Uh, they went to Nancy Kerrigan and they kneecapped her. They hit her in the knee hard enough to take her out of some of the competitions. She still came back, but the fact is, that the party of Tanya Harding has decided the only way to get at Trump is to kneecap him. Now, about the connection to Lincoln. In 1860, the election between Lincoln and Breckinridge was decided by 40% of the popular vote that went to Lincoln. And Lincoln won the Electoral College vote. But in the southern states, he was not on the ballot. Thing is, they didn't have ballots like we do today. Usually, in fact, the term party ticket, where you say, I'm voting a straight Republican party ticket, was because the parties themselves would distribute ballot materials, little slips of paper that looked like a train ticket, and you could just drop that in the ballot box. There were none distributed by the Republicans, so voters in the South did not have Abraham Lincoln as a choice. And guess what? He won anyway, and guess what? About a year later, we had a civil war. Do you think that's where we're headed today? Glad to be with you on the first working day of 2024. Happy Tuesday to you. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. too far away just tell alexa play the lars larson show welcome back to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to be with you and i'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails i'll return to calls in just a moment but i want to talk to our friend curtis hill former attorney general for the great state of indiana republican candidate for governor of that state and i want to talk to him about this craziness that a number of American states are seeing efforts to try to ban the voters of those states from casting ballots for Donald Trump. This seemingly because he is the odds-on favorite to win the Republican nomination and the odds-on favorite to win the entire contest in November, and the Democrats can't tolerate that. Curtis, welcome back. Lars, how are you? I'm doing very, very well. How's the campaign for governor going? Campaign's going well. We've got a great grassroots effort going, and i uh, feeling very, very, very positive about it. Now, because I always look at India, I've got friends who live in Indiana and have for years. Uh, I think the state's a great state, but uh, I worry that sometimes my view of it as a conservative state may be belied by the, the local conditions. I hope it's not going woke and, and all the rest of that nonsense, is it? Well, there is a danger of that. It, it, it's complacency. When you have a supermajority and you've been a, a red state, a lot of times you allow things to slip in. So we are dealing with some of, some of the effects of CRT, SEL. Uh, some of the wokeness is creeping in, and it's, that's why it's important for good, solid conservatives with a proven track record to get involved and to maintain leadership. I also worry about whether or not the Republican Party is doing enough to stand up, and, and, and maybe my impression is wrong, but my impression is the Republican Party is kind of standing back saying, well, you know, whatever happens. I think there are a lot of people in the Republican Party who aren't crazy about Donald Trump, 
and and they're not paying attention to what their customers, the citizens of the United States, want. And and I think some of them might, in their heart of hearts, actually not be terribly disappointed if you got knocked off the ballot a bunch of places. Am I? You think I'm? You, you think I'm? Uh, I'm shaming the uh, the GOP unnecessarily? No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the problem that we have with the Republican Party is that we lack cohesiveness. We do not uh, we do not come together around a, a common cause, and that common cause is freedom. You know, what you're seeing happening in this country right now, uh, the Democrat Party is deathly afraid of Donald Trump's success. Uh, they are afraid that he's not only winning the polls, but he's, that he's going to take the primaries, he's going to take the general election, and they will stop at nothing to keep him from winning. Uh, because they know that's what's happening. So what you're seeing now is a, is an overreaction uh, by states. Uh, the, the Secretary of State of the state of Maine, I mean, I, I'd like to see the hearing that she actually had to make this determination that he doesn't qualify on the ballot. She's, she gets to be the uh, uh, the judge and executioner all at the same time. It, it, it's really an incredible situation what's happening. Well, it is. And, Curtis, I've told you before, I always remind my audience I'm not a lawyer. You are a lawyer. What does it mean mm-hmm. when, for an entire state, a, you know, a mid-level but, but state-level elected official like the Secretary of State can hold an administrative hearing and then simply say, I've decided this is how it's going to go. I mean, that, but, it, it kind of suggests that, that it doesn't take much to, to really bust apart the framework of our elections. And that's not the way it's meant to be. I mean, wh- who did she call for witnesses? Uh, did, she certainly didn't have Donald Trump come in and give his side of the story. Uh, she didn't. She she hasn't listed who was at this hearing and how she came to this decision. What standard she determined. I mean, he's being uh, thrown into this whole insurrection thing. And whatever you want to call January sixth, and and there's lots of opinions about uh, how appropriate or inappropriate some of the conduct may be. It was not an insurrection as defined, an, uh, an armed rebellion. Uh, they have to make this this pitch that he was engaged in insurrection against the United States or against the Constitution. What evidence did they present? That matter still has not been addressed in these uh, these mocked up uh, court actions that are that are framed up all over the country. Uh, I want to see Maine's actual evidence that she uh, that she entered into that she that she listened to that she observed to make that decision. I don't think well, there's anything there. And it's funny because the Democrats seem to jump past what the the even the people who broke the law. And there were people who broke the law on January the sure. 6th. Although the kind of thing that normally gets you a ticket. I mean, if I came to Indiana and went to your state capitol and said, I'm having a sit-in in the attorney general's office or I'm having a sit-in in the governor's office or in the legislature like Wisconsin Democrats have done in years gone by. And you'd say, okay, you're going to get a ticket at, at worst. You're going to pay a fine. You might have to stand in front of a judge and give your abject apology, <laughs> throw yourself on the mercy of the court. We have people locked up incommunicado in the Washington, D.C. jail for extensive periods of time for something that's a trespass ticket, isn't it? Well, you know, I've been to the Capitol on a number of occasions, and I've had to go through security. I can't imagine being several blocks away from the Capitol building and and being able to anticipate that any number of people would be able to get past security to get into the United States Capitol building. Something else was going on uh, at, at that situation that makes this all just uh, uh, very unlikely. And those are the things that haven't come out yet from a, from a factual standpoint. So all of these folks talking about insurrection, talking about disqualified from service, uh, that's all a ruse because they're deathly afraid uh, of the, the people who are supporting freedom, who want their freedom back and want their freedom maintained, the support for Donald Trump. They're, they're afraid that he's going to return to office, and they'll do anything they possibly can to make that not happen. 
Well, see, and that that's the part of it that, that really troubles me the most is that I've been telling people you hear about this as Trump's being kept off the ballot. And I think the more important thing is voters in Colorado are being told you aren't and in Maine, you aren't allowed to vote for this guy. And I thought in what? You know, I mean, we, we've certainly heard about it in other countries, you know, Russia, Cuba, other countries where they say you're only allowed to vote for these people. Everybody else we're throwing in jail. That's a technique of the communists to say we won't let the public vote for the people we're afraid the public will end up electing. And that's what they're effectively telling us. Having said 2020 was the cleanest, most legitimate election in American history. And then the very next, you know, within the next year, a whole bunch of states passed laws, changed their laws saying, well, apparently it wasn't that secure. We need to have new laws that forbid all kinds of activities, you know, of, uh, you know, that are involved in uh, during during campaigns and during votes. You say, well, if it was the most secure, why'd you have to change all these laws? And and now they're saying now that we've got the most secure election system, so they claim we're not going to let you vote for this guy. Well, and they, and they, they want to uh, basically up, uh, uh, turn over the election process. I mean, uh, can you imagine the, the, the lack of election integrity if Trump is kept off, the, off the, uh, the ballot and is unable to proceed, what that would do to America, how Trump supporters, and not just Trump supporters, people who believe in democracy. I mean, this is not, this is not necessarily about Trump at this point. This is about freedom and, and, uh, and democracy and the ability to vote. Uh, this is fundamental to who we are as a nation. So if we disrupt that, and, and it's right along there, it really should be no surprise because we've seen censorship coming. Uh, we've seen all sorts of attacks on liberty and freedom. So if this happens the way that, that, that they anticipate, there will be no peace. Uh, this will be a, 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 a mark against the integrity of the election process that we won't get past. Uh, it's imperative, regardless of how anyone feels about the candidates, you have to allow the voters to make the choice going forward and then do everything that we can to maintain and make sure that we have a safe and fair election. Curtis Hill is the former attorney general in Indiana and the Republican candidate for governor. The other piece of this, and I just saw this in the last couple of days, I don't know if you remember Dinesh D'Souza. He's a friend, uh, and he got in trouble because he admitted he he helped channel some uh, donations to a, a lady he'd gone to law school with, and it was 20 grand. And, and all he did was say, you make the donation because you're only allowed to donate so much to each candidate from each American citizen. He cheated that. It was 20 grand. And he gets eight months of effectively house arrest or nightly lockup for eight months. Sam Bankman-Fried channels $100 million, stolen dollars, uh, to uh, about 300 different candidates. And what does the Biden DOJ say? Yeah, we're not going to pursue those violations at all. And I've had people say, well, sorry, go ahead. I'll let you finish up. Well, you do know that there's a a multi-tiered system of justice in the United States of America now. I mean, what you just described is part and parcel of what's going on. If you're a conservative, if you're someone who believes in freedom, uh, there's a different standard that you face in the Biden administration uh, than if you're someone connected to his family or connected to their process. So That's right. That's Curtis Hill running for governor in the great state of Indiana. Back in a moment. Curtis, thanks so much. We'll get to your phone calls and emails. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. On social media, you can check me out on Twitter. We are, of course, on Getter as well. We're on Truth as well. And you can find my Instagram feed, and you can always tell Alexa to play The Lars Larson Show.
Lars Larson Show. Go to the head of the line at the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. Happy New Year in 2024, and I'm glad to get to your calls in a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our X poll. The poll on X, I guess, is our new name for it because Twitter poll doesn't work anymore because it ain't Twitter anymore. It's X. Uh, but I want to welcome to the program Shea Bradley Farrell, uh, doctor, who is president of Counterpoint Institute for Policy Research and Education. I wanted to talk about what's going on in the Middle East now, and not just specifically in Gaza and the West Bank of the Jordan River. Uh, Dr. Bradley Farrell, welcome to the program. Happy New Year, Lars. How are you doing? Thank I'm doing very well. On. Happy New Year to you as well. I've got to ask you this, though. I mean, an awful lot of the focus, of course, is what's going on in Gaza and the IDF's uh, you know, uh, uh, ability to go in and, and clean out Hamas which, of course, the, the Wokies in America want them to stop. Now that the terrorists have done what they've done, they don't want the IDF to go in and clean out the people who did the terrorism, which seems kind of crazy to me. But the Red Sea is becoming a real problem because of attacks on shipping there as well. And I'm wondering, how much of this do we put right at, on the desk of Joe Biden, uh, making policy decisions that are actually putting the whole region in peril? Uh, Lars, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that for the past two years, he has telegraphed weakness to the world. And that's why we're in a lot of the fix that we're in. I don't believe that Hamas would have attacked Israel if uh, President Trump had been in office, just like I don't believe Putin would have attacked Ukraine. So I, I think that it has a lot to do with his weakness, his administration's weakness, I mean, they are very ambiguous on what their foreign policy is, and their foreign policy is not an American interest. Um, if you go all the way back to us surrendering Afghanistan to the Taliban, I mean, that might be the biggest moment or the first moment when we see national interests drop, because we, he put us in a much uh, more precarious position. We left billions of dollars of equipment there that they have used to track down our allies. And let's not forget that Americans were um, killed as well. So uh, we could talk about that, Lars, for an hour, but there are so many things that his foreign policy is doing to put us in a very weak state, much less on our southern border. Well, and, and the Middle East, am I being, I don't know, ethnocentric or jingoistic if I say the Middle East in particular reads weakness in a way that Americans don't necessarily, I mean, we, Americans will say you want to go along and get along and you want to come to compromises and agreements and accords, but in the Middle East, weakness just says, hey, these guys are, are willing to, uh, guys and gals are willing to give it up. Okay, uh, we'll take advantage of that more so than perhaps uh, any other particular region of the, of the world. Or, or have I misread that? No, I, I agree with you. I actually spent um, a lot of time in Arab states, Arab Gulf states, before coming to D.C. about seven and a half years ago. And that is, I, I think that's right. The other 
country that comes up in my mind, though, that uses our weakness to its advantage is China. But I do think that you're right about that. I have actually stood in Israel while, uh, you know, Hamas is sending rockets over into Israel from the Gaza Strip. And I think that as an international community, we allow that. It was only about two days, two or three days after the Hamas attack in October that I was at a pro-Israel conference speaking there in Budapest. And this had been planned for months before, and it just happened to coincide two days after the attack. And the number one thing on the minds of my Israeli friends there that were actually able to come, not everybody was, of course, but the number one thing that they said to us is that we are concerned that the international community will start pushing back on us as we go in, like you were saying in the beginning, to level Hamas, to uproot Hamas. And, you know, it didn't take five days for that to start happening. Now, let me ask you about something else, because, uh, uh, but it relates to that. And that is the U.S. failure to act, because within a week or two of the attack on October 7th, the Wall Street Journal ran a fascinating story in which they said, yeah, about 500 Hamas fighters were brought to Iran. They went through fairly extensive training, even some new techniques and things that that the folks who watch Hamas had not seen before. And then they went back and carried out the attack. You would think that that kind of connection, and that's not just a, well, so-and-so says it's happening. The the Wall Street Journal get, did a good job of documenting that that's how it went down. You'd think the Biden administration would have at that point sent a real strong message of some kind to Iran saying, you made this happen, you trained these people to carry out this terrorist attack, and there will be consequences. Have there been any? No, and they have been consistently weak on Iran even before this attack. I mean, we've seen that with the nuclear arms deal and all of this uh, walking up to this time period. But the root of the problem is the fact that something a lot of people don't understand. Hamas is well-funded by Iran, by Qatar, by the United Nations, meaning we are funding them. The U.N. uh, Relief Working Agency in the United Nations, you know, Trump defunded that because it uh, has connections to Hamas operatives. So Biden is funding it again. And we've been funding it since 19, uh, I think, 48, 49. So this is generations of Palestinian refugees that we have been funding. And the problem is, is like I said, they teach anti-Semitic curriculum to children, uh, you know, Palestinians, and there there are ties to other Hamas operatives. And here's here's the real kicker, Lars. Um, Joe Biden, we've given something like six billion dollars in the past fifty or so decades. One billion of that has gone to uh, the UN Relief Working Agency under Biden. So he may be talking out of one side of his mouth, saying that we've got to support Israel. But you go to the root problems, and in the European Union, it's the same thing. They're funding organizations that, you know, indirectly, the money gets to Hamas. So that's a huge issue. And how do we get that cut off? And why? I mean, when you look at that massive tunnel system that they have, which I think is now flooded with seawater, but 300 miles of tunnels as big as the New York subway system, and you say, where'd they get all that concrete and rebar and steel and everything else? Well, they got it from us. 
Uh, well, how did they get that? Well, we gave it to them, and they said they were going to build uh, housing and other facilities for ordinary Gazans. And then they diverted, it sounds like, an enormous amount of it to that. You would think that would lead to an immediate cutoff, saying you're not getting any more aid unless we can be assured that none of it is going to aid and abet terrorists. And yet that hasn't happened either. Nobody's even seems to be talking about that. Yeah, but like I said, Trump did defund some of that because it is as easy as that. And you're right. No one's talking about it. That's why I keep bringing it up saying, hey, what are we doing? This is ridiculous. And I will be honest with you. I have compassion for the Palestinians that are still in need after many decades. I do have compassion for that. But the point is, is that the international organizations are often, the money going into them is often hijacked in different ways by Hamas and Hamas and used by Hamas to build these tunnels, as you're saying. I've also, you know, been to the border of Lebanon and Israel and seen this happening. I've been to the Syrian border. And one thing that I will tell you from that experience, I did that whole border tour um, you know, within one week and that experience, especially having missiles being fired while I was there. And so we stopped our approach to the Gaza Strip and, and went and stood by a uh, bombing shelter just in case. And then, you know, in a couple of days, we were able to go forward and talk to residents there. And they live like that. Unbelievable. That is Dr. Shay Bradley Farrell. She's Ph.D., president of the Counterpoint Institute for Policy Research and Education, author of Last Warning to the West. Hungary's triumph over communism and the woke agenda. Dr. Bradley Farrell, thank you. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Exercising the right to free speech every day. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on the first Tuesday of 2024, and I'm glad to get to your calls. I want to tell you about something that's going on that's very, very sneaky. involves both the federal government and the state government. And what they want to do is they want to ban certain things, uh, use of certain kinds of fuels, use of certain kinds of devices that run on electricity, and they want to do it while still being able to maintain that they haven't actually banned those things. And I'll give you a couple of specific examples, but be aware of this. Because when you try to fight a ban, if folks say, well, you know, the politicians tell us they're not actually banning any of that stuff, they're just making it more efficient. That's exactly the way they want to do it. And I'll get to the specifics of it. This is not a conspiracy theory. But first, welcome to the program. Glad to get your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you happen to be a naysayer in 2024, come to the place where naysayers are always welcome. And that's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And you can vote in our Twitter poll. Today's question goes this way. So a few hours ago, we found out that the alleged plagiarist president of Harvard University, Claudine Gay, uh, who appears to have been an affirmative action hire for the university, should she have been allowed to resign, which she did, instead of being fired from her job, should Harvard have allowed plagiarist president Claudine Gay to resign instead of being fired? 
I'd say no, they should have fired her. But you can vote any way you like, at Lars Larson Show. And that's the poll on X, uh, formerly known as Twitter. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. So let me go first to Ron. Hey, Ron, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? 24 years, my brother. I'm very honored to be with you. And Thank you, the point sir. is this, on that uh, Miss Gay, um, she should have been fired. I would have fired her, but because the point is this, she wasn't even qualified for the job indirectly. She didn't know how to handle the financials and everything else. And to go through and openly act like the KKK, which was founded by the Democrat Party or the Democrat Social America, that type of uh, stuff going on on our taxpayers, part of the even though they're probably funded well, 80 percent, even though and I remember, Ron, you, you speak to something that's really important to remember, even though they're a private university, they they get a tremendous number of government grants and other monies. Plus, they have a massive endowment. They have an endowment so big that they could literally let everybody go to Harvard. I think the tuition is 70 or 80,000 dollars a year. They could let everybody go to Harvard without paying any tuition at all and they'd have no problem paying for it from their investments. It's I haven't looked it up recently, but it's tens of billions of dollars that they're sitting on top of and yet even with all that cash, they still get government monies that flow in from mostly the federal government. So you're right to point that out. But the point is this, Lars it goes against what Reverend King says is the content of the character. She had no character. She, in my opinion, being a black American with mixed blood, as you, as I told you last time, uh, I'm just American first. And the point is, she doesn't have that American first approach to everything. This is right out of the gates of Marxism on the road to serfdom by F.A. Hayek. You can't keep leading people because what's on the outside of the skin to push an agenda that goes against the individualities of the individuals and truth. Freedom of speech is acceptable, but when you're going through and you're asking the evisceration of a, of a race or a group of people because of their faith, that is no better than the devil himself coming out here saying he's the light, and yet he's put the dagger on your back, sir. Very nicely said. Ron, thanks so much for calling. Let's go to Tim. Hey, Tim, welcome to the Lawrence Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hi, thanks, Lars. I was going to make a comment regarding uh, an earlier segment with uh, those who are trying to keep Trump off state ballots. Yep. And if that uh, things like that go forward, how that might fan the flames of civil war, in fact. And I would like to make a uh, submission here, a case that Trump in the firing line, whether in office or out of office, is what's keeping us from civil war right now. And I'll, I'll try to support it with this, this notion. Uh, today, as you've mentioned on your show so many times, there's so many polar, polarized issues, such as abortion on demand, euthanasia on demand, God, no God in our society, <clears throat> double standard of justice, who gets prosecuted, who doesn't, who has to follow yep. the laws, who doesn't, property rights, who has them, who doesn't, climate science and energy, what that's all about, definitions of gender and sex, economic freedom versus central control, who has free speech and who doesn't, and the list goes on. Yeah, it does. These are, in my view, polar, such polarized viewpoints of life, fundamental notions of what a human being is, what the meaning of life is, what the purpose of life is, what it is to be a human being. These are, in my view, irreconcilable differences i think they are but but tim can i throw one thing in on all the things you mentioned at least you can advocate for one side or the other 
You can say, I believe in gasoline cars. I don't believe that CO2 is poisoning the earth. You, you can say, I do believe in the right to life of unborn children. But here's where it changes and where I've had people say, well, Lars, you've always uh, been a little skeptical that we're at the point where we could go to civil war. And I said, I have been because this is how it's a game changer. When you say to the American public, we know you want Trump. We know that a majority of Republicans want to nominate him in the summer of this year. Uh, a majority appears to, to want to elect him. And the polls seem to show that he would, beat, uh, he would beat Joe Biden pretty handily if the election were held today. So they say something that I think is brand new in America, and that is you aren't allowed to vote for him. And, and that well, make, when, I see that I as a game changer, case. don't may, you? May I, may I finish my case? Yeah, I haven't. I haven't quite closed my loop yet. No, well, I, I know, I but I want you to engage with me. This isn't a one-way yeah. conversation. So I, I, I get the idea. I'm, We've got all I'm, these polarizing I'm, issues. Okay. Right, right, okay. Yeah, my point is that Trump is being where he is, whether in office, out of office, on the front line, is a scapegoat. He is functioning as a literal scapegoat, and we can focus on him, whether you're for him or against him. Uh, you know, and when he goes away, then these issues will become more and more paramount. And these are bigger than the, the slavery issue, believe me, you know, 150, 70 years ago. These are more fundamental to what uh, human life and the role of uh, the role of man in, 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 in his viewpoint of uh, worldview. And I just think that because when he goes away, we're going to be left with two sides in many of these issues that will not dis have discourse. They have agreed to be emotional in deciding these uh, things, and and I I think that will lead to violence. That's I think it may. And Tim, one of the one of the other things you should mention is when he goes away, when he's done with his next term, because I believe he's going to be reelected and he'll be president for four years. But do you see very many politicians right now? who are offering to pick up the torch after Trump. There's a very small number, and most of them seem to be go along, get along. I'd like to be senator. I'd like to be a rep. And I don't want to have to make the tough choices. Trump's willing to do it. An awful lot of other politicians are not. Thank you for the call. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.